0: Welcome, everybody, to the Pastor Mike Job Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Mike, and I'm joined by a great panel of pastors and my co-host, Emily. Today, on today's podcast, we are going to uh, discuss First Peter, a little bit of Jeremiah. Uh, Peter was, man, you know, it's Peter, and he's the rock, and he's got a lot to say about all sorts of things that might surprise you. Uh, What does it mean to be born again? Peter gets to that. Uh, Does baptism save us? Uh, What does a Christian household look like? What does it really take to be happy? Is there a way that we can suffer for good? Uh, All that on today's episode of this podcast. So grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and let's go. Welcome uh, to today's episode. I'm really excited to dive into the scripture. Emily, we have a super panel of pastors.
1: Yes, we do. Pastor Danny Householder. Hi, Danny. I know hey. him. Good to see you guys. I've see known you him do. for a long time. Repping out Ames today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. And Pastor Richard Webb. Hi, Richard. Hi. I know him, good, too.
2: Good to be here again.
0: Yeah, the good doctor. The Reverend Dr. Richard Webb is here. And uh, Danny, thanks for joining us, too, from Ames. How are things going up at
3: Hope Ames? Things are going really well. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We started off the year in Ames, and you always expect things to get really big at the beginning of a semester for the things like college ministry. Yeah, I am happy to report that those college students keep showing up and they keep bringing their friends. Um, that's, it that's is good. completely against the grain in that uh, we got a college ministry that is growing into past halfway through the semester. So that's really cool. So I think God's doing really cool things in Ames through college students. And we got an amazing congregation, not just in Ames, but throughout all of Hope's campuses that support them and they feel it. So it's pretty cool.
1: That is pretty cool.
0: That is pretty cool. People are hungry for the word of all generations. It's the most amazing thing. One of the most amazing things about God's word is how it is so intergenerational. We see that here too. Richard, you serve in so many different capacities here. Uh, you know, people see you as the organist and teacher, <laughs> uh, Bible teacher, but you're a professor, a theologian. All those things. What are you excited about? What are you most excited about these days and the things that you are, you know, front lines on here at Hope?
2: I got to say, um, when I when I see folks under 40 here, there's a fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we see it ignition. We see it in, in obviously, Kairos. And, and then we also see it in, in Revive where just things are exploding. Right. It's, it's, it's really good to see, um, yeah, uh, from...
0: And younger, too. High school, Uh, Power Life, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. our confirmation classes, our children's ministry. Wednesday night, children's ministry is booming. It is. Uh, We're excited to see all that. So, yeah, Emily, you got your hands in on all those things, right? Yeah. Keeping an eye on it. They're all good. Make sure everyone's behaving.
1: Well... For the most part, <laughs>
0: <laughs> one of the great things about being a church that attracts uh, a lot of people to God's word is you get some people who, um, you know, are new to it, and it yeah. takes a little while. Yeah, we love that. We we got nothing but love for yep. them.
1: Everyone's welcome. Kind of like
0: Peter did, which is a nice transition mm-hmm. into our into our readings for today. But we're going to start by going way back, uh, back to Jeremiah. Um, the, the last closing chapters of this prophetic book and we have some questions Ted Lasso help us out
3: why don't we just jump right in anybody got any questions
1: he helped us out yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I
0: thought Ted was on vacation there for a second but could yeah, happen. Good. I'm glad he's around
1: okay what do the final chapters of Jeremiah reveal about the supremacy of God's power and the hope that remains for those who mm-hmm. keep the faith in tough times mm. Richard,
2: I think there's three things. One is there's the promise of justice. The other is uh, that God's prophecies really do come true. And the third one is this this funny little story at the very end that says there is hope. Mm. Uh, It's almost like it's told like a parable. I'll I'll walk through just a little deeper. Um, Chapters 46 through 51, if you're counting, um, basically says God is using Babylon not only to judge Israel, but all the surrounding nations that have behaved, frankly, rather horribly to Israel. And then, in, in, in especially Egypt, there's like special chapter section on Egypt getting theirs, and then finally Babylon gets judged all the way to where everything is leveled to the ground. Then, um, just at the end of forty six, there's also a promise of hope coming, homecoming for exiled Israel, where God will discipline them but not destroy them. And the phrase that keeps being repeated is, "Don't be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you home." And then, chapter fifty two, sure enough. Jerusalem falls, the temple's destroyed, there's the capture and imprisonment of Zedekiah, the the slaughter of the royal family, which means what the prophet says will happen because he's God's ambassador. And and that's almost a little like, like, whoa. But that has a double edge because if God can do that, he can also do some things with hope. So we get this funny little story. This is the second of three kings that are mentioned in Jeremiah. His name is Jehoiachin, Uh, and he was a puppet king that the Babylonians put on the throne. And he rebelled and wound up in the slammer. And then uh, after Nebuchadnezzar, is this guy named Evil Merodach. I mean, I'm already seeing mini-me here. Um, <laughs> Dr. Evil. The Dr. Evil, you know. And, and so uh, Jehoiachin is released from prison. Uh, he's given a new set of clothes, and he's given a pension. Didn't know they had a pension plan in Babylon. And then he's invited to dine at the king's table, which means he's given a position of nobility. Yeah. And it's almost like God has taken this little, little, funny little obscure story and saying, this is what I will do for you, Israel. It is this
0: beautiful crazy surprise ending isn't it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like there's there's hope yeah. and that hope breaks yeah. through yeah. God it, it's almost as if uh, God is speaking through Jeremiah not almost as if he is speaking through Jeremiah to say Babylon is big uh and they're oppressive and they've held you in exile and they're evil and corrupt and dark and all these terrible things God's bigger mm-hmm. is is God's yeah. reminding his people through the prophet Jeremiah I um, I've got a plan it's going to be okay you can hold on to hope I, I said this a little bit last week or alluded to it at least Jeremiah I mean he's got a rough call
2: yeah.
0: he, and we we hear a little bit about it along the way is how difficult it is for him to speak God's word in a time that is so tough there are a lot of people who these days are feeling like because of the news because of the way things are happening, Times just keep getting tougher and tougher and tougher, or just individually what people are up against or what they're Mm -hmm. up against as families, uh, the struggles they're feeling, the sadness, the grief, the sorrow, um, the frustrations, the challenges. Mm -hmm. We're not immune from that in this upside down, messed up world. How good it is to close one of the most difficult uh, eras Mm -hmm. of history for God's people in terms of being hurt, oppressed, exiled, Mm -hmm. uh, living a tough time how wonderful it is and how hopeful it is to be able to end that with this really kind of surprising story of like, mm-hmm. well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you thought this was the end, and mm-hmm. what a terrible ending, and it's just so sad, you know. Um, the world is tough and then we die mm-hmm. is sort of the mantra of the world so often. Mm-hmm. But actually what God is saying, the world's tough, but hold on. Yeah. yeah. To be continued um, there's there's more to come. this mm-hmm. is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. The last word has not been spoken yeah um, there's there's still hope yeah.
1: that's good uh switching then what should our podcast listeners know about first Peter that will help them better understand this lively letter from a passionate apostle
3: yeah so peter he's he's sharp um, and he's quick, and that shouldn't surprise us because when you read about his personality throughout the New Testament <laughs> stories and the gospel accounts. He's quick. He's sharp with the things that he says. He's not always sharp necessarily in how he says them or when he says them, and Jesus is willing to correct him. But I think that this is what I really take away from it. Peter, if you read him on the surface, it feels like he's getting after you, and it feels like he's telling you that it's about your behavior, and that cannot be what he's talking about. Because if you look at Peter's story, you know that Peter was somebody who was transformed by grace. Peter's the one who at the Last Supper, Jesus says, you're going to deny that you even know me three times, which was incredible betrayal. Like, it's one thing for us these days to say like, oh, okay, well, that person, they're not really my friend. But in those days, the honor system that was placed into the ancient Jewish culture, that was something that was unthinkable for you to betray your friend, but even more so for uh, a disciple to betray their rabbi. And that's mm, who Jesus was yeah. for Peter. And Peter went off and he did that. And then they interact after the resurrection, and Jesus interacts with his disciples a few times, and it says nothing about Peter even talking to Jesus or even (laughs) making eye contact. But then finally, Jesus and Peter have this really beautiful conversation in which Jesus reinstates Peter. And he doesn't say, you know what, Peter, I'm going to make you work back for this. Instead, he says, I'm I'm making you the leader of this thing. Mm -hmm. Now, that seems weird because Peter seems, of all the disciples, the one who's least likely to deserve that. The only reason why he's put in a place of leadership is because of grace. And because he understands grace, he's going to understand how to lead imperfect people as well. Mm -hmm. And it is totally consistent with the rest of the leaders in the early Christian church. You've got Paul, who was a religious bigot, and he has a transformation of grace. And then he starts leading, and his entire ministry is is about teaching people... This isn't about what you do. This is about God's grace for you. You have got James, who's the brother of Jesus, who spent his entire life denying who Jesus was, saying he's crazy. You know, he's nuts. I don't until believe in my brother.
0: Just to be clear, I mean, he came around.
3: Yes, yeah. until yes, and then he sees Jesus resurrected, and for it's recorded in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. And what happens to him? He's put in a place of leadership. So you've got Paul, you've got James, you've got Peter, and you've got plenty of other people too. But those three, these really big names that we hear about in the New Testament all of them had radical transformations of Mm -hmm. grace. And Peter is, of course, one of them too. So if you ever start to get this feeling that any of them, and especially Peter in this, are are attacking you for your behavior, it's because they've had this radical experience of grace, and they realize that grace actually changes their life in a way that behavior, in a way that the law never could. Mm -hmm. So it's because of their interaction and their transformation in grace, because they saw the risen Jesus. And when you see the risen Jesus, like when you meet him, when you realize, wow, oh my goodness, It's nothing that I've done, but rather you came back for me. You showed up in a room for me. That'll transform you. And I think that that's important to remember when Peter is intense, but he was transformed by grace. That's
0: a
1: helpful tone setting. Super
0: helpful tone. And, And as the question being asked by our listeners and Bible readers here in our community at Hope, as we read through the whole Holy Bible together, the questions are so good. And sometimes it's really important for us before we get into the details to note that. So, Danny, it's an excellent point. Peter's not saying be good. He's saying be good a lot. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of be good here, but he's not saying be good because it's the rule and and it's the law. Mm -hmm. He's saying be good because of God's grace. And if you have God's grace, how can you not be? And it's the story of his life. It's also probably worth noting, I just want to highlight one of the points you made there, Danny, which is the greatest Christian leaders at the beginning of Christianity were absolute train wrecks, before they had transformation. And it's not just, oh, they were a mess and then they met Jesus and then they were perfect. In in the case of of Peter, he was a mess probably on some level. We don't know a whole lot about his life before he was called by Jesus to drop his net and follow. But then he followed Jesus and he's different. Then he fell back again. I mean, the ultimate backslider, Mm -hmm. the the first of many, and denied Jesus you would think, and in in so many pockets of Christianity today, that would now be a disqualifier for ever being able to do anything at church or in Christianity as a leader ever again. That's just not biblical. Mm -hmm. And, And it doesn't mean that while Peter is in a state of denial that he should be leading, but it does mean that God has to provide room, that grace is big enough. God's grace has to be big enough to transform us not just once, mm-hmm. like we get one chance to be transformed. There was the old life, now there's a new one. If we ever mess that up, it's over. Can't be. It just mm-hmm. can't be. There yeah. has to be room for redemption. There has to be room for grace to be as big as it really is. The other thing I also want to say about Peter real quickly is that he uses such... you know, His, his writing, to me, fits his personality. He probably had something to do with Mark's gospel. He might mm-hmm. have been the secretary who wrote it down, in fact, a lot of scholars believe. And Mark reads like Peter, but so does First and Second Peter. Yeah, it jumps a little bit. It, it, it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. Now let's move on to the next topic. You know, <laughs> he, he's just he's just going, and I love that passion. I love that you can almost feel the fire mm-hmm. in Peter in his belly. Like he's just saying, "Come on, come on, come on, church! Just be who you are. Just be the church." understand who you are. And we'll get to that as we go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean to be born again? And how does Peter connect the dots in this opening chapter between the promise of life forever in heaven and a holy life now on earth?
0: Uh, I'll start, but I want to hear from you guys on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard, chime in for sure. Uh, To be born again, literally in the original Greek, because the Bible wasn't written in English, means to be born from above. Well, what does that mean? above meaning kind of the image that we have or the metaphor that we have of God is above us in a heaven or in a in a in a place that where God resides that so if it's born from above we're being born from God mm-hmm. we're given a whole new life in Christ because of our tra- the transform transformative power of a saving faith in Jesus Christ and and I say that very intentionally it is a saving faith yeah. it takes us from death to life it yeah. takes us from having no hope of standing before God in judgment someday, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to having nothing but blessed assurance that when we stand before God in judgment, that ultimately Jesus is there on our behalf to take upon our sin. And so we're going to get in, not because of our performance or anything Mm -hmm, like that, but mm -hmm. because we've been born again. We've been born from above. Now, again, God bless a well-intentioned, Uh, you know, generation or two of Christian teachers who are trying to do the right thing by saying this. But what this is that this phrase born again is turned into is a litmus test for whether or not you've done it the right way. And so Mm -hmm. have you said a sinner's prayer? Have you have you uh, come forward in an altar call? Have you have you given your life to Jesus? And and these are phrases that I really don't have as as big a problem with as others might Mm -hmm. But they're not biblical phrasing. That's not the way the Bible phrases these things. And so I think it's a little bit uh, unfortunate when Christian teachers emphasize the phrasing as if this is the biblical theme of the New Testament. You have to give your life to Christ. That phrasing never shows up in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you, that you have to say a sinner's prayer. There is no sinner's prayer in the New Testament. That you have to come forward in an altar call in a certain particular kind of way. That isn't in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I'm for altar calls. I'm for the sinner's prayer. I'm for giving your life to Christ. I think those things are good things to do. But I think our phrasing should sound a little bit more like the phrasing of the Bible. So you must be born again, Jesus says in John 3. But by that, what he means is you must have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you are born again. You're you're born from above. You're filled with God's Spirit. Uh, So I think words matter, and the way we use those words matter. Um, and if, if we are born from above, if we are born again, uh, Peter will go on to say, so, you know, his point that you were making before Danny, since we are saved, then we're going to live in alignment with the God who
2: saves us. So yeah, you're, yeah. if you're born again, you're not born again to live the same old life. Yeah. You're born again to live a new life. Oh man, that is so important, Mike. I mean, when we think about this, because people will say, well, I got born again and then go right back to their old lives. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it's interesting that whenever the phrase born again is used, even out of Jesus' mouth, it's about what God has done for you and to you and through you. And God has to be the subject of that sentence, not what we got to do to get saved, but what God has done to Mm -hmm. save us. Mm -hmm. So when I looked at Peter, what I saw several things. I kind of made a little grocery list here. Um, He's not using it necessarily to refer to a religious experience, but it's sort of like you've been reborn into a new identity. In other words, now you got a new mom and dad, so to speak, a new family in God, um, you've you've been reborn into a life that never ends because it's a resurrection life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've also inherited both the benefits and the responsibilities of the family business, which is what I think that's what Peter's getting at, is we live a certain way because that's how our family lives. Mm-hmm. And so we've been born into a new lifestyle. We've been born into a new mission. And, and so it, it's, it's not just, well, gee, I, I'm going to go to heaven. It's I have been born into this amazing adventure. And we call it again because, well, it's two things. I I love this thing. Born from above, I got a new origin. Mm-hmm. And born from again, I get a new start.
0: That's, mm. that's beautiful. It is by his great mercy, First Peter 1, 3. It is not by the thing we got to do, yeah, or, or the yeah. religious stuff we're supposed to 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 live out, or 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 check the boxes of, mm-hmm. it is by God's great great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It doesn't sound like something I got to do. Mm-mm. That sounds like something God has done yeah. through Jesus Christ and me putting my trust in that. So when Jesus originally in John three and Peter's picking up on that born again language here in First Peter one, when Jesus in John three says to Nicodemus, "You must be born again." He's not saying, Nicodemus, you got to do a bunch of things. Hmm. In fact, he's talking to a Pharisee, Nicodemus, who is all about his whole whole basis of religion is all the things we got to do, all the rules. Jesus is trying to set him free from that to say, actually, Nicodemus, you need to focus on what God has done for you and what he's going to do for you as you follow me to the cross Hmm. and through to the empty tomb. That's how we get born from above. You know, if you say to somebody, you have to be born, Mm-hmm. How do you control? How? What? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, a baby is born through no effort of his or her own, really. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. you're kind of along for the ride when you're being born, mm-hmm. and that is not something we do. That's mm-hmm. something the God who made that child and the, the parents are are doing by bringing life into the world. That's what it means to be born and born again. Is it's, a, it's not an us thing. It's a God thing.
3: I think it's so interesting that Jesus uses this analogy in John chapter three. He's He's the one who comes up with this, right? Being reborn and being born again. And it's so important to see just how passive this is every single time that this verb comes up, being born again, being born again, have been born again. And so often people are saying, well, how do I go get born again when it's well, nobody goes and gets born. And this analogy has been hitting me pretty hard lately. Uh, mm-hmm. Dad, you're going to have a new granddaughter in I'm a couple of months, right? <laughs> yeah, so my wife excited. and I were, were having a, a, a baby girl. And, and I'm thinking about like, well, I mean, she's growing in there, right? And that's really, really exciting. And yet there's going to be a birth certificate that comes along with this incredible thing that happens. And it's not going to be by the work of her, but rather it's going to be by but, the work yeah. of her mom. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. But here's the really cool thing. Like... As Christians, I think that we can we can take something away from this. Nobody has their birth certificate on their fridge and like, hey, <laughs> I was check born. that out. <laughs> you know I was mean? born. There's plenty of evidence that you're here, that you're alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And in the same way, I think that that's how we can live our faith. So many Christians are like, oh, okay, well... I need to get born again and then I will be done in my Christian faith. And it's like, well, no, like you have been born again. It's not, you're going to get born again. You are reborn again. So now live like it. You don't need to keep on pointing. You don't need to keep on saying like, here's the birth certificate. Here it is. And That's helpful. It's good. You know, I belong to God. Mm -hmm. Here's my birth certificate. It's, it's, it's printed in the blood of Jesus, you know, through his life, death and resurrection. It's, it's great. Right. But it's, this is not the finishing point. It is. Wow. I'm actually alive now. And it's yeah. really cool.
0: And that's how Peter connects the dots here. Hmm. He he, yeah. he takes that new life, being born from above, which we can say, well, I'm born again so that I'm saved for heaven, for eternal life, yes. But he also connects the dots between that and saying, and therefore, since you have been given this gift of eternal life with God forever, it's going to change the way you live now. I mean, since when, when you're... Daughter is born, our granddaughter. Um, we're, it's, it, well, it's a miracle of new life. That's worth noting, too. Yeah. That's a, that, we can't do that. God does that. We're participants. It's awesome. It's exciting. We'll all celebrate. But, right. I don't think you're going to have uh, pictures on your fridge a whole lot longer than of the ultrasound. Right. I think it's going to be pictures of your baby. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mm-hmm. think it's you're born for what? Saved for what? Not just saved for heaven, but we're saved for service to God and life, uh, following Jesus Christ right now. that's when life gets exciting. And Peter's, you can feel the fire again. Peter's passionate about it. So Mm -hmm. he's saying, come on, remember who you are, which leads right into our next question.
1: Yeah. How does Peter use vivid images like living stones, spiritual temple, and holy priesthood to remind Christians of our full and true identity?
2: Oh, this is crazy. Um, one of the things that, um, um, you think about who's Peter writing to? And this, this matters mm-hmm. right here. Uh, he's writing to a bunch of Gentile Christians in house churches in, in what we would call Turkey. And they're all getting kicked in the teeth, not mm-hmm. only by the Roman government, but by Romans. Um, they're being hated. And so uh, he, he wants to give them a sense that they're part of a journey. And a little bit of this is not God's first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he identifies in chapters two and three, these Gentiles with the story of Israel. In other words, since you've been born into the family of God, let me tell you about the family of God. We have a long history of being kicked in the teeth, and God has a long history of being faithful. Mm-hmm. So, but he doesn't just stop there. He also moves us beyond, okay, God's going to take care of us, to, well, what are you going to do positively, not just passively wait it out? And so he gives images like living stones in a temple, and and again, this this comes from Jesus language, because Jesus called himself the temple, and 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 so... Um, we discover that we are beyond just the people of God in the Old Testament. We don't go to a temple. We are the temple. And then even more so, we are royalty, which means we walk in the authority of Jesus. And, and, and that same sort of thing was, was given to Israel. And then the third is we're a, a royal priesthood, mm-hmm. and which means we mediate the presence of God to others. And again, this is language all over Deuteronomy and Exodus. So this is being just yanked right out of Israel's story and applied to these Gentile stories. But even if you didn't know any of that, think about that. If you just tease it out, what's the temple for? It's where people go to experience grace, right?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: So our mission is to be the grace place for other people. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, forget all the nerdy stuff. We are called to be the place that God is going to love others through us. And that's, and again, this is identity. This isn't, Oh, I got to go do this. Mm -hmm. Well, don't get in the way, please. But, but it's more sit back and watch God do cool stuff through you. You know,
0: identity matters. It, 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 it's not just identity for the sake of identity, but it's identity for the sake of purpose and, Mm -hmm. and, and mission. And, There are a lot of um, folks in our world today uh, who talk about identity as the most important thing. And you know what? They're right on Mm -hmm. a certain level. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just would so strongly encourage us to step back from that just a little bit Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and say, who identifies us? So if identity matters so much, and I agree it does, who gets to identify us? Yeah. Who who do we give the authority to to say this mm-hmm. is who you are? What Peter is saying here is you are living stones, you are mm-hmm. a spiritual temple, you are a holy priesthood. Um, you you are you are more than you think. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are all these things, that means the potential of what God can do through us grows. Mm-hmm. It's so we want to remain humble mm-hmm. in this, and remember, it's God who does this through us. It's not yeah. us who do this yeah. on our own. But at the same time, we don't want to be falsely humble. There's a thing called false humility, which is to to pretend God didn't give us any gifts, Mm -hmm. to to act like God hasn't given us any potential or or any um, abilities or talents or even opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if my identity is not so much who I want to be or who the world tells me to be, but it's going to start with, this is who God... God says I am, yeah, yeah. and not who I want God to say who I am, but who God says I am. Yeah. In His Word, right here He yeah. says more important than all the other ways we identify ourselves. I'm mm-hmm. from Chicago. I I'm, a, I'm an alum of this college. Mm-hmm. I I'm a, you know I'm a Norwegian American. I'm 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 whatever 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 whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm married, not single. I'm single, not married. I'm you know all these things we do to identify people. Great, fine, I get it, it's mm-hmm. important. But more than that, what Scripture, what God's living Word is saying here is, mm-hmm. let me tell you who you are yeah. so you don't miss the purpose of life. You are um, living stones. You you are, you are have way more potential than you think. You're a royal priesthood. You're, this is where Luther gets the priesthood of all believers. You don't have to just get everything from priests and, and pastors. You also have a mission. Priests are servants. Find out what that is. Live it out. There couldn't be anything... Peter's going to hit this really hard as we go. Yeah, Even when you look at your suffering, go ahead and suffer if it allows you to further the mission of, of, mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and do all these things if it means you can you can push forward and bring more light into the darkness of this world around you. So that's going to force us to stop living for ourselves. And everybody's saying, hey, notice who I am. I'm am a I'm an Iowa State fan, or I'm an Iowa fan, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. Mm-hmm. Great. Fun. Okay, let's talk about it. But... Wow, what what if we were as passionate about saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm here to bring light and, and mm-hmm. I'm here to bring which mean I'm here to bring mm-hmm. love and you said it, grace. Yeah. That that we hold on to that grace thing and, and we push it up. Why do we do that? Because it's a nice thing to do? No, because it's who we
3: are. Yeah.
1: Mm, that's good. Why do you think Peter encourages Christians to live properly among unbelieving neighbors and submit to authority?
3: Um, so I think that this is kind of surprising, but when you study the scriptures, I think it's clear. I think that when he's talking about submission, he's actually doing something very surprising, and that is he is empowering. And what I mean by that is every single one of these New Testament authors and all these biblical, uh, all these uh, authors of the epistles in the New Testament, do you notice that they keep on talking about slavery? They keep on talking Mm -hmm. about submitting to masters, different things like that. Clearly, it was a very big deal in the place where they were living. It was a huge deal in the Roman society. In fact, it was such a big part of the Roman society that if these biblical authors had said, hey... Those of you who are slaves, what you need to do is you need to run away from your homes that you're living in right now, and you need to essentially resist. Well, the Romans were really good at doing something with people who resisted them, and they did it to Jesus. Crucifixion, execution, torture. So if they come out out and say right away, like, hey, you know what you need to do is you need to run away from this and you need to resist it, what's going to happen? The early Christian church is going to die, and the people that Peter's writing to, the people that Paul wrote to, they're going to die too. I mean, Peter would be participating in their torture if he did that, because he knew what the Romans would do to people who resisted them. So instead, he has a better strategy. And the strategy that he has is this. He says, you may see yourself in the place of submission. And the way that you can use that is by trusting the power of God's love will actually transform the very people that you live in the homes of. Look at what he says here. He says, um, he says uh, excuse me here, for you are free... Yet you are God's slaves. This is in chapter 2, verse 16. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. So what's he saying? He said, yes, in your current circumstance, you live in the household of someone who is called your master. And you guys have done a great job of already discussing the differences between our understanding of slavery today and their understanding of slavery back then. So, I do On need previous
0: to... podcasts. Yes. Yeah. So
3: I don't need to parse that out anymore other than to say that it is very, very different. Now, that being said, they're always saying... God is anti-slavery, and you know that from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Exodus where God's freeing his people from slavery. People can never belong to other people. People can never own other people, and that totally makes sense. So what's Peter doing? Peter is saying that the power of God's love is so powerful that you are actually empowered to change the life of your so-called master because your real master has set you free, Mm. and your real master has set you free in a way that they could never, ever enslave you. So he is... I believe empowering them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you you hit the key verse there, uh, the one that makes it very clear. Peter is not saying, "Hey, slavery is a good idea." He's saying, "You are free. Actually, in Christ, you're free. You know mm-hmm. that you're free, even if you're again gets back to identity. Even if the world calls you a servant or a slave, and really, what, what's what's labeled slave here is much more would be. A, it's not even so much servant in our culture. We have to be a little bit careful at looking down our noses at, at, at a different culture from the outside looking in, because they could also, N.T. Wright writes about this, he says they could also look back at us and say, yeah, you might want to look a little bit different at your own sort of economic systems and how uh, some people are treated as servants and, and secondary and not, not really the ones who are living that life of the masters in first century Middle Eastern culture. That aside, that's really not Peter's big point here because he's not comparing cultures. I'm just saying from through the lenses of our own culture, should be mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, a little just pause maybe. Hit a pause mm-hmm. button there a little mm-hmm. bit before we just say, oh my goodness, this is impossible to embrace. But as you said so well, Danny, God's word is clear on this. Slavery is not God's plan. That's not what God wills. It's not what God wants. And Peter even says here, you are free, slave. Those of you who are identified by the world as slaves... I say to you, your identity is freedom. But in that freedom, you, th- this gets back to the dichotomy of Luther's b- brilliant theology. You're free, but you're also a servant of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so as a servant of Christ, you live for the most important thing, which is, again, how can I bring this saving faith to people that God has put around me? Yeah. And so it, it, Peter is saying even more important than you um, coming out from underneath the yoke of slavery would be for you to point them to something that's going to last. What I don't want to just say what that is, I want to say why. Why? Because of time. Because what Peter's pointing these, these, these folks to, and he'll do the same thing with men and women, husbands and wives in marriage, is to say, live for something that's going to last forever instead of something that's just going to last for the rest of your earthly lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so even more important than your worldly status as a husband, a wife, a slave, whatever it might be, is the freedom that you have to bring Christ to the world, which is going to change their destiny forever. And that, turn, as it turns out, is our primary mission.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. The result of that over about two generations was that Christians who own slaves set them free. Yep. Um, and that created quite the social disturbance for another yeah. talk. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But again, people were literally won over.
1: Yeah. Okay, how can 21st century Bible readers make sense of Peter's old school directives on the roles of women and men in First Peter three verses one through seven?
0: Yeah, it's really important that we say one through seven because people read one through six here of First Peter chapter three, mm-hmm. and they tend to freak out, mm-hmm. and, and or they tend yeah. to apply it in a way that it isn't meant to be applied, and say, well, this is God's will for marriage, and so this is the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It gets back to Peter is writing into a culture where men are not just the head of the household, but they rule. They are like emperors of their, of their household. They're emperors to their wives, to their kids, to their servants, to their slave. Whatever they might have in their household, the, the man is the emperor of that household. That is not Peter saying that's what God wills, that's what God wants. He's saying, given that that's the cultural norm. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Now, if we put that in the context of the rest of what we're reading here in these seven verses, things get really, really radical. Because Peter's saying, I want you to see it a different way. Yeah. Instead of seeing your wives as just on the surface, it's just their physical looks or their beauty, if you, if you and your, in your misogynistic culture are the emperor then you need to look deeper. And you yeah, and women, you need to see yourselves as something deeper. Again, it's a re-identity thing. It's mm-hmm. not just appearance. This would be for men who get vain, too, in our world today. It's not just surface appearance stuff. It, it's something deeper. Don't be concerned about outward beauty, fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes. Uh, mm-hmm. You should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within. How timeless is that truth? Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that Peter's writing that in first century Roman culture... Mm-hmm radical. I mean, it's like, well, no, women are just objects in first century misogynistic, sinful culture. Mm -hmm. Peter's saying, no, they're not. Look deeper. And then he says, verse seven, husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, he means physically, but she is your equal partner, equal... I just can't tell you how radical that is. Yeah. yeah. In a culture yep. where men are the emperors and mm-hmm. they own their families basically. Mm-hmm. Be- that's not right. That's not God's will, but that's mm-hmm. what it is. Peter's saying, "No, actually you're equals." Yeah. Wow. That is just mind-blowing. And I'm sure he got a little he probably got some emails for
3: that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know, it's funny. We, we identify this with writers today. The the greatest writers, it's not just the way that they form each individual word. It's the shape of the overall writing. Okay, we got to read on a little bit. And the crazy thing about these New Testament authors is the shape of their writing, right? So when the Roman government would send out a decree about families, they would not mention women, they would not mention children, they would not mention slaves. None of those people existed when it came to the rules of the law. They just were submitters to the emperors of the households, just like you said. And here... Peter's not just acknowledging them. He acknowledges the slaves first, Mm -hmm. then he acknowledges the women, and then he acknowledges the men. I mean, people who would have been reading this for the first time would have gotten it loud and clear. They would have been shocked. It's not how
0: they usually hear it. I mean,
3: I'm I'm just saying, if if you get offended by things these days because somebody phrases something and it challenges your worldview...
0: Because they didn't say it just the way you wanted them to say it.
3: Peter is... (laughs) Peter's being very offensive here. He's bold, and and, and yeah. he's doing it in a way that is radical and loving. I mean, it's clear, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it would have been shocking for people to read that for the first time. Like, who 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 did who did, who did you just acknowledge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, right. and, and you, you know? think of the results.
2: I mean, who flooded the early church initially? Women and well, slaves. Yeah. So apparently, they did not read this as toxic. Yep. Um, one of the things I think is so important, and this is in two twelve. If you once again, the rationale, as with slaves, that your your spouses may be one over without a word by their wives' conduct and then see the purity and reverence of your lives. In other words, you see Jesus in in your wife. And Mm -hmm. once again, this is the radical subversion. Mm
0: -hmm. It is. Once again, I love the way you said that. Once again, Peter's like, all these things are important. You know what's even more important? Yep. Introducing people to Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. getting them into a relationship that's going to last forever. So wives... Uh, yes, submit to your husbands. Husbands, it says elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul, submit to your wives. Treat each other as equals. But instead of, boy, in so so often today, the game mm-hmm. is nobody submit to anybody. Yeah. And no, nobody can tell me that mm-hmm. I need to to humble myself before anybody else. Mm-hmm. Wow, good luck having a healthy marriage if you aren't going to submit to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good luck having healthy friendships if you don't humble yourself before your friend once in a while. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Good luck having a strong faith if we mm-hmm. don't submit. So Peter's Peter's pushing hard uh, for something yeah. better and, and bigger and more eternal, uh, something that's longer lasting. He,
2: he keeps coming back to themes. He, yeah. It
0: might feel like he's hitting all these different subjects, but he pulls it all
2: together. Yeah. Think about identity. Um, I once heard a, a theologian say Israel's identity was not about uh, entitlement and privilege, right? but it was about uh, mission and responsibility. Yes. And so once again... He's putting Israel's identity on top of these Gentiles and saying, wives, slaves, your identity is your mission. And your responsibility to be Jesus, to be temples towards all the people who might even be hostile to you.
0: I just want to encourage people to hit the rewind right now on YouTube Mm -hmm. and go back about 20 seconds to what Richard just said. And and he hit it about three times in a row Mm -hmm. about what what, what it really is, identity, and where it comes from. And it isn't this, but it is something far better. Mm -hmm. Nice done, doctor.
3: Peter's in this for the long game, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He's not saying like, hey, let's get really quick results, people. He's like, you you hang in there. And, and I know we have a question that's coming up on this, so I'm just going to stop <laughs> <laughs> We're, it's a teaser, though, then.
0: So, you did a cliffhanger for us. Nice job,
1: Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What highly practical and countercultural advice does Peter give for anyone who wants to, quote, enjoy life and see many happy days?
3: So, Peter's in this for the long yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well,
2: seriously, and once again, he's being so Jewish because he's talking about the one word for all of this is wisdom. But let's unpack that. Mm-hmm. So, he starts out real practical. One is have unity of the spirit. In other words, if you're mutually. Submitting to each other, you're going to be united. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but sympathy, and I think empathy is probably part of that word as well. In Mm other words, walk in other people's shoes, listen, you know, have love for one another, be tender and a humble mind. There's all the things we've been talking about. Don't repay evil for evil. And by the way, that's the Roman way, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and then instead repay with a blessing because this is what you're called to. There's your identity thing that you might inherit a blessing by being a blessing. Okay, now straight to, so those who desire a good life. What's a good life? Well, he's already started talking about it, but now he's quoting Psalm 34. What he's doing, once again, is saying this is part of our big, long story. Mm-hmm. Well, and you want to see good days? Well, keep their tongues from evil. In other words, don't, that's like, don't play the revenge game, you know? And, and likewise, don't manipulate. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Um. let them turn away from evil and do good. And and, and this is the big game. In other words, what happens when, when you get mixed up with Jesus? You turn away from evil and do good. Mm. And I mean, this is life changing. And again, as you said, Peter's got some credit in this area. Mm. So does Paul. So does James. You know, the whole thing of turning away. And, and so leading a happy life is, is, is literally living in the hope you have from Jesus and and then letting him bear fruit in you, which is all this very practical way of living.
0: Every once in a while, I think it's good to just hit a pause button and just ask Mm -hmm. a bigger question. Mm -hmm. So Peter forces this into Mm -hmm. us to the point where we have to ask this question. So I'll, I'll pose this to our podcast listeners, to the Bible readers out there. Has Jesus changed you? I mean, it, 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 what has changed in you as you get to know him more and more and more and more? Because Peter's life and his his epistle here is is living proof and an example of somebody who's been transformed, who's been changed in some big ways and some small ways and all sorts of ways. I think it's not a bad thing once in a while to just to stop and say, how are you changing me, Jesus? How has my attitude changed? How has my worldview changed? How has my mission and purpose in life changed? What am I living for? Is that the same? whether I believe in Jesus or not. And so, you know, I preached on this a little bit this last weekend, but if we minimize Christianity to just what we believe, instead of how that belief leads to a whole new life, a whole changed life, and Peter's at this, if you want to have a happy life, watch your tongue, uh, live at peace with one another, live to maintain that peace, Uh, speak words that help lead people to Christ, don't tell lies. The list... We could turn that into, oh, here's a bunch of rules I got to do. No, this is what we want to do if God has changed us so that I start to... I can think of all sorts of places in my life where the more I get to know Christ, the more it changes how I see life Mm -hmm. and how I see the purpose and the point of life and and what
2: what on earth we're doing here. And so that's going to change what makes us happy.
3: I'm not, sorry, go, go for ahead.
2: it, Richard. I, little testimony time. When I was not feeling well a few years back, I would come here on a Sunday morning, and the last thing I wanted to do was deal with people. I wanted to crawl in a hole right. and hide. Right. And so I, but I would force myself to go out in the atrium because, well, that's what they paid me for. But <laughs> well, here's what I discovered is when I was talking with people, I felt so much better. And, and I, yes. I, I thought, what's going on there? I said, my eyes were off myself. Uh, yeah. And so you want to live a good life? Flip it around. It's not about me. Yeah. Lift your
0: eyes up, as Hebrews says. Mm -hmm. All eyes on Jesus. Uh, Mm -hmm. The more we focus on ourselves, the more we
3: miss the whole point of life. Well, and and keep in mind, everything that Peter's saying, none of it makes any sense whatsoever unless Jesus really did defeat death, evil, and justice through his resurrection. Right. None of it makes sense. And so a big question for us Christians these days is this. What in your life makes no sense? if Jesus didn't really do what he says he did. Yeah. And if you can't think of anything, it might be time to re-engage with the faith. Yeah. There, there, there ought to be something unexplainable. And I don't just mean like, oh, I've got these incredible gifts. I mean, you'd be willing to forgive people. You'd be willing to love people. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to forgive somebody who doesn't, forgive your, who doesn't earn your forgiveness if Jesus hasn't really defeated sin. It, it makes no sense to give up what you've got for the betterment of the world around you if Jesus hasn't really given us eternal treasure in heaven. I mean, tell it to the early Christian martyrs, right? Tell it to them, like, you know, Jesus was just an example.
2: <laughs>
3: or just
0: something to believe in. You know what yeah.
3: I mean? Yeah. Like, wh- wh- where's their hope? Right, Just right. to suffer more? Jesus
0: is more than an example, more than yeah. something to believe yeah. in. He's yeah. a game changer, a life changer, mm-hmm. an eternity changer, all, all the above. And so Jesus alone is worth our faith and and, and yeah. our allegiance in a way that nothing less is
3: worth ship, right? Yeah. Worship. Yeah.
1: Careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How can, <laughs> yeah. How can we faithfully interpret Peter's words about the reason Jesus preaching to spirits in prison, disobedience in the days of Noah and baptism, which now saves you?
0: Yeah. Hello. This gets pretty deep, pretty fast. So, um, we're not going to have time to get into all the details, but there's some stuff in the intertestamental uh, literature in between the Old and New Testament called the Apocrypha. First Enoch, I think it is, talks about what Jesus did, uh, you know, between his death and resurrection and and how he, he went and preached to evil spirits in prison. Peter alludes to that a little bit here. Then he ties it in to uh, others who need to hear this word, like the people in the days of Noah who were disobedient, kind of brings it all together. And you can just kind of feel Peter's mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, like, and when I think of Noah, it makes me think of how God saved the world through water, which is like baptism. And then he says, literally, quote, baptism, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, which now saves you. Uh, that's that's about as direct as it could be. Yeah. And just gently, with all nothing but love in our hearts, uh, just a quick pushback. And I know people try to interpret their way out of this one. It's like, well, he's saying, like... Baptism is just a a symbol of the salvation that's already happened, and I, actually, he didn't say that. He says baptism, which now saves you. Um, now, let's be careful because Luther himself would say it's not the water that does this; it's the promise in, in in as somebody's being baptized that saves us. It'd like it'd be like drowning out in the ocean. A lifeguard comes to save me if I'm drowning in the ocean and brings one of those floaties. You know those life Guard saving things -hmm. that they run around with when they're on Baywatch and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. they're holding the thing. So the lifeguard runs out. He brings the life saving uh, flotation device. And I could say the flotation device saves me. And that's correct. Bab to, you know, that saves me. It's actually the lifeguard who saved me. It's Jesus who saves. Mm -hmm. But let's not minimize what Jesus is doing and what God is doing through Christ in his death and resurrection and baptism. We are joined, Romans says, to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by baptism. Uh, And and that's what saves us. So yes, it's Jesus who saves, but the Bible is very clear. Jesus saves through the waters of baptism. It's not the only way, but it is a way. He also saves in a whole lot of other ways, too. But I get a little nervous around people who try to minimize baptism as just a dedication or as just a ritual or yeah. as just a thing that we do, um, you know, to kind of say, hey, this, this, the, we hope this baby is a Christian someday. Eh, it's more than that. Oh, yeah. um, God, God's yeah. doing something big in the waters oh, of baptisms. Yeah. He's, He's saving people. Yeah, that's huge.
1: Yeah. What new perspective does 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 19 provide for us on how to handle suffering, slander, insults, and fiery trials?
3: I suppose I'll have to kind of just echo a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Of yeah. Just, you know, if, if Jesus really did what he said that he did, then it makes sense out of this life that we're living. Yeah. And I think that Peter is echoing, um, he's echoing the, the whole story of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So if we go all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, when it comes to Jeremiah and you think about the other prophets... When we think of the prophets, we think of celebrities of the faith. You know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They were not celebrities of their time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They, they, were, they were rejected. They were hated. Look at what happened to Jeremiah that we're reading this week. He was, uh, he was uh, kidnapped. You know what I mean? It's taken away. People were not happy with things that he was saying. And it's easy to get carried away with that. We we're like, oh, well, oh, yeah. So people don't like me because of my faith. So that means that I must be on God's side. Careful there. Because Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. what did they all do? they were all completely consistent with the character of God that we see throughout the rest of the scriptures. So what do we know about people who suffer faithfully? They're always consistent with the rest of the word of God. You have to be digging deep into God's word because it's easy to say, well, nobody likes me. So that means that God approves of everything that I'm doing. They might not like you because you are not acting out with justice. You're not generous. You're not merciful. Mm -hmm. You're not gracious. You know what I mean? That, That might be why, because you're mean. And then at the same time, it's, um, it's, uh, you also have to be diving deep into God's word and being held accountable for that. So yeah. now any, he, and he tells us too, he says, look, Jesus was persecuted, Jesus suffered. And so if you are suffering, um, you are participating in the redemptive work that Jesus is doing through this world. And it is an upside down work look of the world, the way that we see it. But as you said mm-hmm. in your sermon this weekend that I heard dad was, it is the right side way up as the way that the creator sees it. And that's okay. And it yeah. is, and, and, and I'll I'll finish that thought that I had earlier. Peter's in it for the long game. He's not saying that this is going to be quick. Look at this. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. And you're like, oh, oh I, I better get on my soapbox and I better start prophesying. And if people disagree with me, that means that I'm right. Well, careful there because he says the end of the world is coming soon. But then all of a sudden he starts to use this endurance type language. Yeah. Continue to show deep love. Share your home for those who need a meal or place to say. Uh, he talks about standing firm. He talks about endurance. He's talking about continuing these things, which means... Hang in there for the long game, and we live in a world that says quick now answer now you yeah. have to say something you have to take a stance you have to make a statement and i'm it's reminding me of even James chapter one verse nineteen that we looked at last week be slow to be slow to sp- be slow to get angry be mm-hmm. slow to, t- mm-hmm. to speak be quick to listen and we live in a world where they say no, you need to speed that up and what's it done to us mm-hmm. it, it's it's taken away our ability to grieve we we, we can't yeah. grieve the suffering that we're going through anymore and so what's mm-hmm. happened we're we don't process grief anymore. Grief processes us, and we just spew out all sorts of mm-hmm. things all the time. And, and what happens? We, we fight, and it's opposite of what, of mm-hmm. what Peter says is living for God. Mm-hmm. It's okay to suffer because you're participating yeah. in the redemptive yeah. work that Jesus is a mm-hmm. part of. I want
2: to talk about slow to speak because I saw something uh, this morning on an app um, where it was a newspaper, and, the, and they did this little video that said, quick, take a stand. And then there were these 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 uh, quick little shots from social media where it says anybody who has this position on israel i can 't even talk to, or anyone who has this position on the Palestinians just needs to go kill themselves and on and on and on and on, well, where do you stand you know and on and mm. and and I just started realizing you know that 's identity stuff you've got to stand in the right place you've got to get the right people to approve of you, and so you shoot your mouth off and and you make things worse, not better. One pastor said, you know, you're not suffering because you're prophetic, you're suffering because you're dumb, you know, and I thought it was, you know, it's a, it's a little crude, I mean, but there is a sense, again, about this endurance. I want to go back to the sharing of Christ's sufferings. Paul also talks about this in some crazy way, when there's pushback for, for living in Christ, we wind up sharing in his mission of redemption, mm-hmm. And, and it, I think it goes beyond just simple words. It's not just like we're providing a nice example, but we're caught up in his life. Mm-hmm. And, and which is a really good thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe it means that you're going to have both sides coming at you, mm-hmm. and, and that might actually be the place to be. Mm-hmm. We have to
0: be careful not to wear suffering as a badge that is really a selfish badge, but at the same time, when we wear it as something that reminds us, that's what Peter's doing here. You belong to Christ because you're suffering, and he did too. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're doing this and he didn't. You're you're being joined to Christ in your suffering. And again, it takes the long view. So, yeah, we need to get to our last question.
1: Yes. What stood out for you as you read Peter's directives for church leaders?
0: Well, what stood out for me was verse 2, which is... To paraphrase, don't serve and lead for what we get out of it, pastors, ministers, mm-hmm. church leaders, mm-hmm. but because we're eager to serve God. Yeah. How, how much more direct could Peter be? And Peter is the leader of leaders uh, in, in the early Christian church at this point. So he has reputation, he has prestige, I'm sure, well, uh, amongst Christians. Um, he's well-known, uh, he's famous in that sense. Mm. He's Peter. Uh, but he serves and leads for the right reasons. It, it reminds me of being at Billy Graham's funeral, where it was a who's who of of pastors and preachers and Christian authors and musicians, um, and I was there, I think, representing Lutheranism. And you know, some of the people there were really well known, and then there were a bunch of people like me who nobody really under knew and didn't have that you know global reputation. But what struck me was the humility of some of those who had the global reputation. Like Father Dolan in New York or Rick Warren or Beth Moore, all of whom came up to us with that, you know, and we're not known, my wife and I, and they come up to us and strike up conversations with us. We didn't start conversations with them, like fans like, "Oh, I got to go talk to Beth Moore or Father Dolan or Rick Warren." they came to us they, they sought us they're you know hmm. they're, we're, we're people. Um, the humility there, I think, is is beautiful. I believe they're not serving and leading for what they get out of it. I believe they're serving and leading for what they can give. And I think that's a call for all of us and a a good reminder for all Mm -hmm. of us. If we're doing ministry, uh, you know, everything from leading songs to um, serving in some capacity in a church to, um, you know, Emily, what you do, what we do as pastors, uh, what, what, what anybody does as a member of a church, if we're doing it for a spotlight on us, and we're missing the point. And it's so refreshing to be around people who do it the right way. There were other people there who definitely had an air about him and an entourage and, and, and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things that, that, that I think is ultimately not going to be helpful either to the cause of Christianity or to the, the individuals themselves who live that out. So these are good reminders for me. And I hope for all of us that as Christians, we don't follow Jesus and do these things in order to be like, Hey world, look at me but we do these things to say, hey, world, look at our God, and our, our God is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so yeah. glad that you're into God's Word, that you're reading this, and I hope that you discover this too, that um, there's something in this uh, that God has for you, but more importantly, there's something that God has, wants to do through you to bring His light and His love and His grace to the world around us. Mm-hmm. We will talk more about that in the weeks to follow uh, on this podcast and we invite you to worship with us up in Ames, here in West Des Moines, all of our campuses, and we'll see you soon. God love you. We do too.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.